I have no idea. Uh, this is Kevin Evans with a chapter by chapter live class at Crossroads Assembly of God Church. And we have a larger and lively group today. Uh, and my mother, Cecilia Evans, has joined us. And uh, for whoever is listening, uh, please do not. Uh, Oh yeah, my wife's here too. I always forget that. And uh, don't uh, don't don't believe anything my mother says about me. That's 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 we that's very important. For us. Yeah, but, oh, well, that's very nice. Thank you. Okay, uh, we are in the middle of Luke, and uh, Luke, as we know, is divided up into three big sections. The first section of Luke covers several chapters that introduce Luke, and, I mean, uh, Jesus and uh, John, and uh, he, he trains and calls the disciples. And then the last section of Luke is basically the passion play, the last week of Christ's life. And then Luke takes every story that he's ever heard or written down about Jesus, and he sticks them into the third section in the middle, that it's not necessarily in any kind of chronological order. He organizes it thematically, which is how books during the period were written. And we are in the middle of that. Chapter 11 is that. There's about 10 chapters, or basically the teachings of Jesus in the middle of Luke. So uh, we looked at the first uh, half of chapter 11, which covers uh, Christ's teaching on prayer. And uh, he's beginning clashes with the Pharisees. Uh, all of the disciples have already had their big solo flight and seem to be trained. And he's already sent even a second group of disciples into Judah at this point. So it's time for Jesus to get things moving. But again, it's not chronological. So we don't really know exactly when these things happen. But um, he clashes with the Pharisees in an extreme way in this particular section. So we are picking this up at uh, verse 33. And uh, there's two sections. There's one about the lamp of the body, and then there's this segment called the six woes that we're going to spend most of our time on. So that's what we're doing today. Uh, verse 33 in the NIV, which is, of course, the translation that God wrote. Um, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl, because he puts it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But when they are bad, your body is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. What does that mean, Kenny? <laughs> I just enjoy putting people on the spot. And I just like it's fun watching them squirm. Um, I I picture Christ staring at someone like this while he says that, talking about the eyes being the window into the soul. I, I feel like there's like an undercurrent of meaning to the exactly. It's like that. So so is he talking to one of the Pharisees and going, I don't see any light in your eyes, boy? Yeah. You know, is it, is it like that? <clears throat> Can you tell if somebody's telling the truth when they're looking at you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Can you tell if they're sincere? Yeah. 
there there is some body language things going on there. I mean, I mean there well, are people most you the time, yeah. There are people you can tell that are just fake and they have this even the ones with happy happy faces all the time like Andrew. You know, they're faking it. <laughs> but yeah, even though they're faking it, they're still kind of sincere. Does that make sense? Like they're trying yeah, really yeah. hard first date uh, face. It's that's true. that one. That and then there's and then there's this fake face where you you don't think they're sincere and you don't really trust them when they present themselves a certain way. Are they, are they really like the way they want you to think they are? No, they're fronting. Is that the word that the kids are using these days? I'm sure, why not? Yeah, I think so. I'll say that's, they're fake. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they're putting on a mask. They're, they're, yeah. yeah. So, so Christ yeah, is saying that when you when, when when you when you accept the Holy Spirit into your life, when, when when you are a follower and you're saved and born again, you've got an inner light. God it, it resides in your heart. Well, that shouldn't be hidden, right? Can they see that in you? Can they look at how you behave and how you talk and just the expression on your face? Can they read God there? Or is it darkness and is it fake? Are your eyes empty? You know, the eye, you know, if you, if you can't tell, look in someone's eyes. It gives you a lot more information. We get a lot of information non-verbally from eyes. And you know, you always say that this is his wife speaking. My name is Judy oh, Evans. Oh yes, this is Judy Evans. My I, wife is here in my class. I yeah. always go to the Spanish class, but it's because it's better, but I came today here. <laughs> and, but um, what I was gonna say is uh, I think usually when you have a bad feeling about something, it's right. If you have, if you've got a feeling that it's just something's not right here, probably something's not right. You all agree? Yeah. yeah. You just have that feeling. Trust your gut, as we say yeah. in our house. There's a reason why God puts that instinct in you. Mm -hmm. Like no one taught teaches you to be like. Something's weird about that dude standing on the street corner who has like beaming red eyes. I don't know what it is though. Maybe he's Lucifer. No. Yeah, maybe he's the devil. It, exactly. No, he's freaking alien from outer space. That's I'm okay. Okay. Yeah, that I'm was a pretty extreme metaphor there. I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> being Moving um, on. <laughs> but your but your point is well taken. I, I don't know that I would go with the demon on the side of the road, but yeah, the point is well taken. Okay, so Christ is saying your inner light is going to shine through you and we know who you are, who you are. And then Luke, in his wisdom, sticks this next story right after that because, because he organizes things thematically. And if you're studying scripture, uh, particularly in this section of Luke, uh, his organization actually kind of helps interpret each one of the stories. You know, so if you understand what's happening in one of the, the one, one section, then, then then it speaks to the next. So keep in mind that uh, inner light and eyes being a window in your soul as we look at the six woes. Okay, so yeah, just as to set up the next segment, and this is uh, from chapter verse thirty-seven to the end of the chapter. Uh, Christ goes to eat dinner with Pharisees. All right, these are the guys that are trying to find a reason to kill him, but he goes to a dinner party. Keep your enemies close to you. I know. It's, 
it's it's kind of weird. I don't know that I want to go to a dinner party thrown by somebody that's literally trying to kill me. Uh, and so it makes me wonder where this was chronologically. Maybe it was a little earlier in his ministry. Maybe when it's the disciples are still haven't had the big solo plot yet. You know, uh, it, it could be. It, and and also, you know, Christ is at this dinner party. Well, how do we get this story? Because Luke wasn't there. Luke never even met Christ. Luke is Paul, uh, Peter's uh, uh, disciple. Excuse, did I get that wrong? Yes. Paul's disciple, excuse me. <laughs> Peter Paul. Anyway, uh, so but, but but so somebody told Luke this story. And we assume that Luke has talked to all the apostles later in life, and he's heard these stories preached, and he's recording this and organizing it into a useful book for Gentiles. That's basically the, the project here. So so somebody was there with Christ. I don't know exactly who it was. Let me think about it. If you were a Pharisee and you're trying to trap a rabbi, do you want to invite him and all 12 of his key followers? Do you want to invite the whole staff to a dinner party so that you can chat and catch him in something? No. No, you don't. Uh, but somebody else was there. He didn't come alone. So I think Peter came with him. Uh, perhaps James and John. Those are the three inner circle. And if I'm going to just guess, I would say that they're there. But somebody was, you know. And somebody told Luke this story. So we know that. Uh, so Christ goes to this dinner party, and they challenge him. In fact, they challenge him from the very beginning, and he attacks and one of the, the, the Pharisees says, that really hurts my feelings. So Christ attacks him three more times, and it's the end of the story. You know? It, it's pretty, it, it reads pretty rough. Now, I read a commentary last night that said that that shouldn't be read that way, that he's an invited dinner guest, and that they brought up the question and this is a quiet exchange between theologians as they discuss theology. And I'm thinking, that's an interesting interpretation. But then I look down at the begin end in verse 53, and it says, When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to uh, uh, oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. That doesn't sound like it was a polite exchange of theological ideas. And I admit that when I talk to you and your father combined about theological issues and philosophy, I do occasionally want to punch one of you. But it depends on the day. Okay. Uh, but, but I think this was beyond that. I think that is a civil discussion when we so talk about things. Not a civil debate, but it's more like Mortal Kombat. Well, no, I, no not really. I that's just, a fun video. I right? admit it's a, you know, I get, I get wrapped up in things, Mortal and so Kombat. do you. But I don't think that's what's happening here. They're, they're, they're fed up, and they see him as a, as a power threat, threat and uh, they're planning on getting rid of him. It sounds like yes. Thanksgiving to me. Why? <laughs> just a Thanksgiving conversation between a family that's very dysfunctional. <laughs> 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 I'm just being honest. What family?
this one yet. You this know. One. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll have that cup. We'll talk about your family later, Nate. Uh, sounds uh, fun. Hi, internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I hope all your relatives are tuning in. Uh, I'll send it to them if I need okay, to. Okay, there you go, there you go. <laughs> all right, so let's, uh, Christ uh, takes six shots at the Pharisees, one after another in this. And I hope that in the course of the discussion, it wasn't bang, 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 like, in this, like, like Luke presents it. I would like to think it was a, a little, uh, I don't know, softer. But Luke is getting to the point that when you write literature, he, he, he doesn't waste words, you know? And so it's going to read real compact. However, it's pretty strong language. So at verse 36, beginning this segment, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table, which is the tradition. Everybody's kind of laying around a table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisee, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Do not the one who, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. What a weird answer to washing your hands. I think this requires some background, don't you? These are theologians that are having a theological discussion, and they're assuming that everybody knows what they're talking about. So for those of us who aren't Jewish Pharisees, uh, there are a number of uh, decrees in Leviticus in the Old Testament that talk about how you eat and how you stay clean. And the Pharisees like to stay ritualistically clean so that they can go into the temple and serve as temple priests, which is kind of what they do. Really, they're more lawyers than priests. The Levites were the priests. But uh, they want to stay clean. And so a number of lawyers have looked at what was written in the Old Testament and they've come up with procedures <coughs> that people will follow to, to, to make sure that we keep that commandment. Would that be ritualistically clean? No, no. <laughs> so here's what, here's, what, here's what they do, okay? They, you, you, Everybody washes their hands before a meal so that we don't have germs. They didn't know about germs, but they did understand that they didn't want dirt in their food. They washed their hands and feet before they be sat down at a table. The cleanliness was important. And so just washing your hands is just basic logic in every culture, okay? Everybody washes their hands, even... Even raccoons, yes, even raccoons, that's a good one. Even raccoons wash their hands before they eat. Okay, that's not what this is about. Uh, the Pharisees have decided that in order to stay clean before God, we need to wash our hands in a special way so that God sees how righteous you are before you begin eating. And so they take... <laughs> an egg and a half of water, 
a quarter of a log. I'm not, I tried to find what those measurements are. This is all from Jewish writing. And basic, near as I can tell, and I'm probably wrong, so if Jewish people are out there listening to me, I apologize beforehand. It seems to be four ounces of water. At least that's what I came up with. Four ounces of water ain't a lot. No. It's, it's, it's more than I have in this coffee cup. Yeah. Or less than I have. It's, it's, about, it's about half of a coffee cup of water. Yeah. So, so it's a little bit of water, and you have a dish, and they bring out the dish in this little bitty cup of water, and everybody's sit, lie, lying down, sitting on the floor around the table, right? Okay, I'm going to put down the microphone for this. So, uh, you take your hands, and you hold it over the dish with wrist down, and then you take a little bit of this water, and you pour it just a dab on your wrist, right? And then you pour a dab on this wrist, so there's, it's just wet. It's not, we're not washing, it's just wet. And then you take this fist, and you do this, which is not how I wash my hands, but this is how it's done. And then you take this fist and do this. So you're okay? washing your palms, in other words. It's, it's a ritual. Now, do we take the other half, of the other two ounces of water, that this much left in the bottom of the coffee cup, and we hold our fingers up, and we pour that across the top of both of our fingers, so it's one ounce of water on each side. So, so we've got, you know, we're dividing that four ounces into four. And now, as the water drips down our fingers, we hold it up to God and we go, oh, praise the Lord, before we have our salad. And between each course, they repeat this. So everybody at the table has this little praise session with your hands up in the air while you're waiting on the water to dry, and then you eat. I'm not joking. That's, that's what they do. So Christ came in. I'm assuming he washed outside when he, when he took his shoes off. And he sits down and they say, what? You're not going through the ritual with us? And he says, you people. Because he's got real problems with how they're treating people. You know? They're treating people like <clears throat> they're cheating their own church. And then they're, you know, they, they think going through these rituals is going to make them holy. And so he compares them to a dirty dish. We've all got dishes in the sink. We've got quite a few dishes in our sink at the moment, to be fair. Okay, thank you, Kenny. Uh, so you, you know what a dirty dish looks like. You've got, you've got gum, goo in the bottom that you didn't eat from your chili last night. And... The outside is fairly clean unless you dribble, and uh, but the inside isn't, right? Well, he's saying you are a dirty dish, and you wash the outside of your dish, and you don't wash the inside of your dish. Now, does that make any sense? Well, I think it does. Yeah. That's what they're doing. They're looking good, but they don't really care what the inside. From the outside. Yeah. So he extends the metaphor and he says, if you take your bowl and you give that to the poor, then you're clean on the inside and then we'll talk. You know, he didn't say you don't need to clean the outside. I think you do need to wash the outside of your bowl. I think you need to wash the outside of your physical bowl. I think you should wash your hands before you eat. But you don't go through a ritual when you're filthy on the inside. You settle your business first. Does that make sense? It's like taking a maple balls and filling it with manure. Yes. Well, that, that's an interesting. <laughs> okay. There's a scripture that says man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Yes. And, and that's exactly what this is reiterating. So Christ is winding up, at least the way Luke presents him here. 
uh, and he says, you, you're like a dirty dish. That's woe number one. He, and he doesn't say woe on the first woe. But he, 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 he's building in, in intensity as he goes. So in verse 42, we have the second woe. And it goes, it begins with, guess what? Woe to you, Pharisees. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that too much? I, I scared my wife. I apologize. You might give her a heart attack someday, Kevin. Oh. Mm. That's hurtful. Wow. I was going to say something rude, but I stopped myself. was a horrible exchange. Uh, I just want somebody to write down that I stopped saying something rude just then. Okay, 42. Uh, Woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Oh, dear. This is an obscure Hebrew reference. I had to dig for this one. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and your garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So you still need to give your tithe. He didn't say you should not do that, but you should take care of justice and the important things first. Tithe is outward appearance. You need to deal with your inward soul first. Okay, so we need to talk about tithe, what he really means by mint and rue. And that threw me a little bit. And my mother is a gardener, and I was asking her this morning what rue is. And she says it has something to do with rue the day. I'm thinking, no, I don't, I don't think that's what this reference is. I was thinking mint, like mint to coin, like giving money. No, no, no. Mint is, they're both, they're both herbs. They're, they're spices that you put in cooking. Which was money back then. Uh, kind of. Okay. So, um, back in the Old Testament again, remember these are Pharisees, we always start there. Uh, they're commanded to give a tenth to the church. And the Pharisees have broken this down into a system. Now remember, we have an entire tribe, the Levites, who do not have land. And we've covered that when we went into the Old Testament. They, uh, all the other tribes have assigned land that they keep forever, and you pass to your children, and, and you, they, they, the, the same tribe live for centuries upon centuries in the same place. Uh, not the Levites. The Levites are priests serving all over the country, and they are supported by the other people. And so they starve unless the other people give this tithe. Okay? So you are, they were commanded to take a tenth of their harvest, because that's their money, that's their wealth, the harvest. And they take a tenth and they give it to the Levites. Now, all the Levites aren't priests, but, but only, a, 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 only a Levite may serve as a priest. And then the Levites take that 10%, that, that, that money that they get, and they take 10% of it, and they give that to the priests. And so the priests make their living <coughs> off of a tenth of their tribe's tribute that they receive from all the other tribes. 
Now, if there are 12 tribes, and there aren't at this point, there are fewer, uh, because this is after the Babylonian captivity, uh, I don't know how much is coming in. I think the economics of this is kind of interesting. When it started, it makes a lot of sense. The Levites are getting a whole lot of, you know, a tenth of 11 tribes produce for a whole country. That's a lot. And that's what they're supporting off of. And then the church is living off a tenth of that. That's very doable. Um, but, the, but remember that the priests, the Pharisees, are being paid out of the church. And so they're getting a slice of the Levites' pie. And a Pharisee is not necessarily huh, a Levite. They're working for them. Only the priests are Levites. Does that make sense? So if you're a Pharisee and you're getting paid by the church, is it important that everybody pay their tithe to you? Yes. Yeah, because that's where your money's coming from. That's your bread and butter. So if you're a Pharisee, are you going to be preaching tithe to everybody you see? Yeah, because that's where your money's coming from, you know? And if the church gets more money, you get a bigger slice because it's a percentage, right? So they're motivated, motivated to make sure that everybody follows the exact rule of this law. And if there is any kind of questionable interpretation of how that law is, they get really detailed about it because this is their bread and, like, like my wife said, the bread and butter. Could you compare them kind of to a used car salesman then? Uh, I like comparing people to used car salesmen. Um, <laughs> Want to try? Why don't you tell me how you're going to do that? They get a commission and they're scummy, aren't they? No, I you know, I have to disagree with that one. You have to disagree. My father was a used car salesman. Well, my, a lot of them are. My father was a my father was a preacher, mm -hmm. and he lived off the ties of people. Yeah. And when, you know, one week he might get two hundred dollars, mm -hmm. and the next week he might get. Twenty dollars. Yeah, yeah. And those were rough weeks. And this week he might get four hundred dollars, mm -hmm. and then next week he might not get any because he totally depended, yeah. totally depended upon the tithe of people. And as I grew up, it was very. As a child, I saw the struggle of yeah. my parents and sisters. You did not get a salary. Mm -hmm. A lot of preachers nowadays get salaries, but dad didn't get a salary. And I always said, you know, if I ever get a job, I will consistently pay my tithe to my father as long as he's the pastor. Thank you. Yeah. And, um, and she pretty much did. And I did. Yeah. But it, it can be scummy in the sense where you, have, you turn on those TV programs and they say, give me your money. Joel give Osteen. The, and there you go. Like that. Well, that's, yeah, that's exactly. a different thing. That is a very, very different thing. Yeah, but preachers who are honest and who are totally living off the tides of people, it is a hard way to live. Because what happens is people pay their tides as long as they're able. But if they yeah. have a bad week, they have a flat tire, ah, they're not going to pay their tides. They're going get, to get the tire fixed. Yeah. You know? And you know I respect Brother Hargrave. I was talking about like Pharisees and the people that Jesus contested with when I say that. No, I think you're, I understand. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to make sure I said, I, Brother Hargrave, good you guy. Not okay. okay. In this verse, it says, <laughs> you tithe a tenth of your mint, rue, and other herbs. Here's the rules that the Pharisees laid out and what this means. You take your first fruits, which means the first of your harvest does not go 
into your storehouse and on your table. You don't get to eat the first apple that ripens on your, on your tree. You give that to the Levites. They get first fruits and they get a tenth. Okay? And after you, and, and, and there's a whole list of what all of those crops are that you have to do. And a notable thing that is not on the list is herbs. I don't know why that is, but you don't tithe your herbs according to Levite law. Okay, you're, they're, you're not, they're not going to come, the priest isn't going to come count all your little herb plants in your back garden. Uh, I guess they have their own garden and don't need that many. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, but that was not on the list. But these guys are tithing their mint, which is like that little extra thing that they're doing for God that all the rest of you aren't required to. Oh. So, so, so we're holy because we give this little jar of mint and this little jar of rue to the church. You didn't do that. <laughs> it's church like, that they preach. Uh, have you ever grown mint? Huh? Have you ever grown any mint? No. It grows like a weed. Okay. It, it, it will, yeah, you'll get a lot of mint. We, I asked mom right. about rue, and she said it, it's, it also is a weed. It's invasive, and you, you, you want to tear it out and stuff like that. And I would say, what about mint? She said, I don't know, and you just kind of confirmed it. Maybe the reason you didn't tithe it is because everybody had it. It's all in the backyard, you know? I mean, why, why, it's not a big deal to tithe your mint and give it to the church because it's growing, it's growing probably, in the lawn. They didn't, they didn't even want your mint. Yeah, they didn't want the mint. So, well, I, I am just appalled, Andrew. They'll be hearing from my lawyers. <laughs> no, you'd be hearing from, from you have a lawyer. That, but you, yeah. you have a lawyer? Yeah, you're representing me in court, Matthew. I'm you should have practiced the latter without Andy leaving Matthew. the former undone. Andy Griffith? Um, okay, before I let this go, I think there is another point that's worthy of discussion here. First fruits, you're supposed to give your first of your increase to the Lord. Yes. Everything belongs to him. The rest is his gift to you. That's how it's been preached to me before. You're supposed to give 10% of your increase to the Lord, which is your income, right? Can you find, think of examples? I, I, I can think of exceptions, and, but, but, but we can argue what those exceptions are. Uh, and, 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 and approaching it from an accounting point of view, I have a problem with the whole concept of first fruits. So here's the accountant's objection, right? I don't know how much a tenth is until I have my entire harvest. Because the harvest is going to be different every year. Some years are better than others. It depends on how many trees I have. I can't even take, you know, if I have five trees and I'm giving one, uh, ten trees and I'm giving one of them to the church, even the yield of that one tree may not be equal to the yield of all the other trees, so it's not a true tenth. And if I'm trying to do an exact true tenth, when I'm thinking very Pharisee here, uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly how much that is. You know and so, an and so what I need to do is, is take the entire harvest, add it all up, get it in, it, how many bushels I've got, I've got, how many bales of hay I have, then calculate who gets what. Shares don't come into a deal until after the deal is done. But 
in a realistic modern sense, you know what you make an hour, and you can just be like, oh. You I have to estimate, don't you? Yeah, it's an estimate. You get a paycheck, and then you're like, oh, I got $700. Let me get 70 or something. Mm -hmm. exactly. Yes, my wife says. Okay. If I get a check, and uh, there's teacher retirement taken out of it, because I had this a big conversation this morning when I was barely awake. Um, and there's a money with taken out of my check as I'm working that I never see until I retire, and then that money comes back to me through an annuity. Now, here's the argument. If I'm taking, if I'm tithing my gross, which is everything I bring home, oh, everything I earned, not everything I bring home, everything I earned, then that's more tithe than what I would pay if I, pay, I tithe everything I brought home. Now, that also means that if I tithe everything that I earned up front, then the retirement that I get off my annuity for that last 30 years of my life, I don't have to tithe anymore because I've already tithed it. I'm glad you're I have a I have a problem with that. Sorry. Right? Yeah. I think you should tithe net. And I had a big argument with my mother over well, this. Well, so. and well, I, I didn't argue with oh, you. Oh, I'm sorry. That was my wife she, I was arguing yeah, with. Yeah, but I do need to insert something. Hit me. Get him. The, the, the scripture says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yes. And there are people possibly listening to this, and our pastor even will have a huge issue with you on this. I'm just saying some people very much feel that they should tithe on their gross and not their net. And if that is their conviction, that is their conviction. I just want to say that because some people truly believe that. And I, I understand what you're saying. You truly believe it, but... I just, there's a huge difference of opinion here between, I think, ministers even. Can I say this? Um, okay, so <coughs> you, okay, so you have no money in the bank, get, get your first deposit, but you say, you know what, I want to tithe all of it to, to the Lord. How can you tithe, so you got a thousand, let's say a thousand dollars, um, after taxes and everything else is taken out, how can you more than you're supposed to go in the negative. A tithe with, out of $1,000 would be $100, and then the offering would be 900 No, no, I'm saying 100% tithe. That's not a tithe, then that's an offering. Offer. Oh, I see, beyond the okay. Never mind. Uh, Stop going over what I'm saying. Okay, make your point, make your point. Can you make your point? 100% tithe, I know what tithe means, 10%, or 100% offering of what you receive, how are you supposed to go if well, you're using the term percent if you go by a percentage i see what you're saying because you don't it's not there to give yeah exactly that's so, yeah. so that's what may I, I say what you I, may okay anyway when i was teaching part of my salary went to my insurance i had to pay my own insurance at the school where i was and then part of it is taken out before you get your check and that goes teacher retirement. Now teacher retirement is a fund like Kevin said and so back when I was working oh let's say 1970 and my money went into it it has made money and so now I am tithing 
uh, gross of what I receive, but when I was teaching, I tithed net, which my mother thought I should be tithing gross, but it's a different situation because she didn't have part of her money being put into an annuity that was going to grow and make money. Yes. So I am still tithing, and a lot of older people do not tithe because they say, well, they're not working. Mm -hmm. But I'm tithing on what my annuity made for me. The interest you The made. interest that I made. Yes. You look kind of like, so, you want, you want gross, you want gross blessing or you want net? Oh, please. Okay. I, I just. I knew, okay. I knew you had something to say about this. You need to let Mr. Talk back there in the Because there are. That was just a shot. Come on. What I'm saying what did I do? I know. And, and here's the bottom line yes, you have opinions about it, and that's okay. So. Okay, uh, Christ wants us to take care of what's on the inside. Mm -hmm. This is about our personal relationship with him. Yes. Everybody is different. Yes. I think getting a paycheck, uh, just a straight paycheck, is very different than owning your own business and, and having half a million dollars in sales and actually taking home $12,000 a year and barely getting by and having that be the full profit of my very losing bookstore, you know? Yeah. Uh, th that's different. And, and if I tied my gross, there would be nothing left for me. I would starve to death because it doesn't make any sense. Well, God knows your heart as well. Yes, that's the thing it, about the and heart. that's my point. And I think we need to look at our own lives look at our own income, and we need to interpret that as fits us. And I think God gives us a brain, and he gives us a conscience. What, no, um, what? Oh, shake my bloody hand, man. I wasn't trying to challenge you. <laughs> I'm oh, so oh. confused. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, I thought when you do that, people know what that means. I think uh, God will bless anything that Yes. And I think you should you, you need to seek that on your own. And and he's attacking them, these Pharisees, because they're making a big show over nothing. They're giving weeds to the church, basically, and saying that that makes them more holy than everyone else, because they're not doing this, even though it's not required. But at the same time, they're you know, uh, they're they're also cheating people. God judges the heart. Yes. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I'm going to give an opinion here that people <gasps> disagree with. Oh, no. Just, Please don't. But it, it bothers me personally, and other people it does not. They are very sincere. But I personally do not like it when people hold up their tithe at the offering. Like, <laughs> you know, here's, here's our tithe. And they're sincere, and I get it. But I just don't do that. I, I do not like going, here's my tithe. Where's your, you know, I just, ha I have a funny feeling. Okay, the keyboard under the keyboard. Yeah. Medium but, you know, most people that do that don't mean it that way, yeah. but it just bothers me. I, I do that when I pray over it. You pray over it. Yeah, I do that. To me, I've always and that's thought okay. it's like. Yeah. That's okay, Jennifer, because the Lord knows your heart. Yeah. I've Absolutely. always seen it as like a, you're not supposed to boast about, look at this great thing I'm doing. God rewards you in secret. You know, he didn't, 
He told people to rub dirt on the, not to rub dirt on their faces, for example. Yeah. So they look like they've been praying. You right. Know what I'm or saying? tear the rat, tear yeah. the garments into rags and yeah. look like they're. Yeah, like it's human nature. I say this as someone who, uh, and I'm telling on myself, genuinely likes attention. As you can tell, I've talked a lot. Um, I don't think it's good when you do something good to be like, look at me. Oh, me. Well, how will Jesus. people know that I did something good? Jesus uh, hides. <laughs> Jesus hides wow. pride. I mean, yeah. it's in yeah. there. You shouldn't say yeah. more highly of yourself. Many times. That's one of the deadly <laughs> sins is pride. Yeah, yeah, I keep telling. Preach it, preach it, preach it. Or I guess the cold drink. Pride and gluttony, those are my two sins right there. Yeah, okay. What is it? Is it it's the, and, and the, what is it, the third sins? The something, something in the pride of life. Sloth and, let's see, that's part of it, isn't it? Something, something in the pride of life. I forget it, but yeah, pride is the third Pride, thing. yeah, he does not like Okay, so. We might get through this if I rule right. Uh, verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace. They like attention. Speaking of pride. That's exactly <laughs> what he's talking about. Now the way the synagogue worked is that uh, rich people got the front seats. Yeah. And uh, if you were the mayor, if you were Mr. Important, you had a seat with your name on it right down front, which it's very different today. Nobody wants to sit in the front pew for reasons. Don't want the pastor to spit on them or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. oh I, were you referring to that one? Uh, uh, that I didn't. Never mind. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and then and then right and then lesser important people sit behind them, and then less behind them. And if you were super poor and nobody cares who you are, you sat in the back row. That's how it works at the synagogue. I don't think they had balconies. <laughs> and to be fair, I am becoming more and more accustomed to the balcony. I really like the balcony. In fact, if you are an introvert and uh, just want to stay away from weird people, or actually you like weird people, come up to the balcony. It's, it's a good place. <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you this. I told Kevin last Sunday, I said, no one ever speaks to us up here. He said, of course not. That's, ex that's exactly why they're here. <laughs> it's wonderful. That's why Bill used to sit up there, too. He's an introvert. Yeah. Hey, I am, too, weirdly. Uh, anyway, um, so they're, they're sitting up front, and Christ is kind of picking on them this because they're sitting there for the wrong reasons. It, it's they're going to church to be seen. And I know a lot of people that go to church to be seen. You know, it's it's a, it's a social statement. And if you don't do that, then you know people don't think you're all that. Uh, and he's in, in, in they go to the marketplace, and it was common for people to approach a Pharisee and have this big elaborate greeting that everybody sees. Oh, the great teacher has come among us. Oh, Master it's here you are. And, uh, and and they point them out to everybody at the marketplace as to how famous they are. Do they it's sound like, like Pippin from Lord it, of the Rings when they do that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, I have seen Bo Pilgrim walk into a Dairy Queen, and it's kind of like that. I don't think it is. <laughs> well, 
He doesn't know who Bo Pilgrim he is, so he missed the point. Out. Yeah, yeah. Why would he go to the dairy So Bo Pilgrim walks. Well, he was known for handing out $20 bills to oh. random people. So he'd walk into the Dairy Queen, and suddenly everybody thought, you know, the king had just walked into the room, and we have to, we have to stop everything in the entire kitchen is to stop working and come out and look at Bo Pilgrim because, you know, the, the, all work stopped when he walked in because he was so important. And frankly, he did own pretty much all of Pittsburgh. So, yeah, that will, that's worth turning off the oven for is to coming out of the kitchen for twenty bucks. How much yeah. money are they losing by turning off all that and not working? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Treasure here. I'm telling you what I watched. You know, okay. Uh, so, chicken He is warning the Pharisees against pride. What's all this back then stuff? <laughs> so, back in 1942 when Kevin was born. Whoa. Oh, oh. My mother is here. I was born in 41, okay. so that was really strange so to have a child who uh, was Yeah, you say my mom's old? <laughs> Leave her alone. No, thanks. Uh, 44, verse 44. Woe to you! I like this one. Because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. What does that mean? Say it again quietly. <laughs> Woe to you. Because you are unlike marked graves. You are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. Uh, remember, they're all about being ritualistically clean so they can enter the temple all the time. And so there is a, a, a writing about how you can't touch a dead body. Uh, that makes you unclean for 24 hours, and you can't go into the temple if you're unclean. Uh, also, if you touch a grave, if you walk on the, the hole where a body is buried mm -hmm. on the ground in a cemetery, you become unclean and you can't, it's the same thing. How do they ever visit their, lo their loved one's graves ever then? They don't do it on Friday. Okay, then. Because then they'd be unclean for the Sabbath on Saturday. That seems reasonable, I okay. guess. Okay. So, there are all these weird little rules. That's the point, and they're silly rules. Yeah. But you know, it is. Most people don't walk over a grave. It's right. just out of respect. It's out of respect. You usually go, you know, you go around. I don't walk over graves. I just don't. To be honest with you, the last time I went to the cemetery, I'm pretty sure I walked right between a row of them, but that's just me. Um, what like he's saying, like, even if there's not a marker God. and the grave isn't there and you don't know it's a real grave, if you walk across it according to the Levitical law, you are still unclean. Even though you don't know. Even though you don't know. And so you can, you can become unclean without realizing it. And I'm sure there have been many instances in the law where somebody, you walked over that grave. It's not Martha. You still walked over the grave, so you can't come into the temple. And so they would use that to manipulate people and cheat people and, and whatever. And so he's saying... It's not you're the unmarked graves. You're the ones that are that are that are confusing people. You're not teaching the law. You're making people unclean and unprepared before God because you're not doing your job. 
That's, that's what this says. And it is, it, it's a very insider shot, if that makes any yeah. sense, you know. Uh, okay, so he does the unmarked grave thing, and here we have the response. One of the experts, which is one of the rabbis that's sitting around the table at the dinner party, who has just taken offense at all of this, uh, answers him, and he says, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Wait, are you talking about the people in the room? Or you. Does it, you know how we say, present company not included, you know, or just, I, all those people are stupid, except for you, Ron, you're here, you're here. If you weren't here, I would include you in that group anyway, but I don't want you to be mad at me as long as I don't. You know, that's kind of what he's saying. He said, you, you, wait, you including us in all of that? You know, you, you picking a fight with us, Rabbi? You know, you, is that what's going go, on? Man? You want to go? Yeah, that's what he's saying. You want to throw down? And what does Christ do? He hits him three more times. So obviously he's not mincing his words and he's not hiding it and he's not saying, oh, don't go tell anybody about what we just talked about like he was doing before. Now he's, he, 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 he's hitting them right between the eyes and ticking them off. And I have run out of time. I've gotten through three woes at this point. And <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And so, uh, with, oh, I'm sorry, four woes. We have only two woes left. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 47 uh, next time. And then we're probably going to jump into chapter 12 because there's not enough there for an hour. All right. Any final shots before we wrap this up? Whoa, team, Kevin. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Whoa. I'm very whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. And with that, I'm signing off until next week. Goodbye.